a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. I'm so glad you're with us today. As we are uh, wrapping up another week of the Bearing Arms, Cam and Company, we're going to take a look at what's going on in a supposedly shall-issue jurisdiction where it seems like there is still an awful lot of discretion being given to the uh, authorities to decide who gets to exercise their fundamental right to bear arms in self-defense. What's surprising here is that the Washington Post is actually covering this story uh, with a a big headline, D.C. won't give three black men concealed carry licenses. They're suing. Yeah, I got to say, as anti-gun as the editorial page of the Washington Post is, this is a, a... decently balanced uh, story by the Washington Post. Uh, they start by talking about a uh, man named uh, Sanu Millard. He's 24 years old. Three years ago when he was 21, he, by the way, he's a licensed security guard. So he carries a firearm on the job. He's licensed to do so in Virginia, in Maryland, and the District of Columbia. He can legally own a firearm. He meets all the criteria to get a concealed carry license in Washington, D.C., but he's not been able to receive one. Uh, and several other individuals who have either had their licenses revoked uh, or have been denied are again now suing, uh, saying that the D.C. police, quote, unreasonably refuse licenses to those with minor criminal convictions and arrest with no convictions, sometimes unfairly using their involvement in violent crimes against them. The suit saying, quote, the burden of the district and the police policies fall more heavily on African-Americans than any other segment of applicants. Now, in the case of Sanu Millard, this is so bizarre. It it sounds like one of the reasons why Millard was denied was his involvement, as the Washington Post says, in domestic violence incidents that the police say make him unsuitable for a license. The problem is, as the Washington Post reports, there's no indication that Millard actually instigated those incidents of domestic violence. Instead, it looks like he was the victim. In one incident, according to the lawsuit, Millard's mother's boyfriend pushed him and bloodied his lip. In another, the boyfriend told police that Millard had, quote, mental health issues. Now, Millard, again, never arrested or charged with a crime. He says, they didn't even put handcuffs on me. Joseph Scrafano, who is one of Millard's attorneys, says the uh, lawsuit isn't trying to stop, quote, unquote, reasonable gun laws. It is trying to stop discriminatory enforcement. He says the existing process gives the chief of police unfettered discretion to pick and choose who gets to carry. And that disproportionately disqualifies African-American men. Now, uh, the Washington Post, of course, had to get another side of the story right. And it's not that they found anybody willing to defend the allegedly discriminatory practices. Instead, they found a a so-called expert who just poo-pooed the idea of concealed carry in general. Michael Ulrich, an assistant professor of uh, health law at Boston University, said in an interview that the uh, Supreme Court's ruling in Bruin makes it difficult for lower courts to uphold gun restrictions, which, by the way, has nothing to do with this lawsuit. Fewer gun restrictions, the Washington Post writes, means more guns on the street, which means police may assume that people are armed when they aren't. He says, quote, more people carrying weapons, especially in densely populated areas like the district, is going to increase gun violence. Black men are at significant risk. Yeah, here's the problem with that. You can ban the carrying of firearms, as Washington, D.C. did, by the way. You can ban the possession of handguns, as Washington, D.C. did, by the way. And it does nothing to impact violent crime. The entire 
period of time, from 1977 to 2008, when D.C.'s handgun ban was struck down, Washington, D.C. had a much higher violent crime rate than the surrounding counties in Northern Virginia and in Southern Maryland. D.C.'s gun ban didn't make anybody safer. D.C.'s gun ban stopped people from being able to protect themselves. Thankfully, D.C.'s gun ban went away. In 2008, the Supreme Court struck it down. Uh, a couple of years later, the uh, district actually adopted a uh, originally a May-issue concealed carry system. They were sued. They lost at the D.C. Court of Appeals. Rather than risk losing at the Supreme Court, gun control activists convinced the district to take the loss to establish a quote-unquote shell-issue regime that, again, according to uh, Scafaro, still gives the chief of police unfettered discretion to approve or deny any applicant based on the subjective factors. If they feel like uh, you're not suitable to own a gun or to carry a gun, excuse me, this isn't even about owning a gun. You can legally purchase a firearm. You can be a legal gun owner. But the District of Columbia can still deny you your right to carry. I would argue that a right half exercised is not a right at all. And it is the right to both keep and bear arms. Some of the other uh, plaintiffs in this case have equally disturbing stories to Sanu Mitchell. Uh, excuse me, uh, not Sanu Mitchell, uh, Millard. Uh, according to the Washington Post, one man was denied a concealed carry license because he fired a gun in self-defense in a 2019 incident, though he was never charged. In another incident the next year, the suit said the man did pick up charges, assault with a deadly weapon and carrying a pistol without a license, but the assault charge was dropped. And after the man pleaded guilty to a lesser weapons charge and completed community service, his case was dismissed and his plea was withdrawn. So this individual has one act of self-defense, one supposed assault that was dropped, so he was never convicted or officially uh, went to trial on that charge. Seems like the only quote-unquote disqualifying factor that this individual might have would be carrying a gun without a license when he might not have been able to get a concealed carry license. That cause for denial? I mean, according to the district, absolutely. Those of us, again, who believe that the right to keep and bear arms is a real right uh, would say, no way. How, how, how can you exercise in a right be a criminal offense? Uh, and why should that preclude you, carrying a farm without a license, from the opportunity to jump through all of the district's hoops and hurdles and become a licensed concealed carry holder? Don't we want people to go through that process? Don't we want people to have their concealed carry license? Instead, the District of Columbia is basically telling this guy, tough. You want to defend yourself, you're going to have to break the law to do it. It's crazy. Uh, D.C. police will not issue him a concealed carry permit, according to the suit. Suit says such decisions are, quote, not consistent with the nation's historical tradition of firearm regulation. Adding there were no founding area laws preventing felons from owning or possessing handguns, nor were there any laws generally directed at persons deemed violent by a law of enforcement official. Now, that's an interesting argument because we did see Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas in the Bruin case bring up a couple of restrictions on concealed carry that he says were longstanding traditions. Uh, one of them, surety laws uh, that existed primarily in the 19th century. And under those surety laws, if, let's say, the District of Columbia had reason to believe that somebody who wanted to carry a firearm uh, had the propensity for law-breaking, 
they could require that individual to post a bond beforehand. Uh, basically, you know, we're, 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 we're not sure of your intentions. Uh, so you pay $100 or $50 or, or whatever, uh, and uh, we'll hold that as a bond in case you get into trouble and then you can carry. Even then, we weren't talking about denials of the right to carry. And it certainly wasn't uh, a system that uh, every individual who wanted to bear arms in self-defense was subjected to. Uh, but I would say that the District of Columbia is going to be pointing to those surety laws in their defense in this lawsuit, uh, as they try to claim again that uh, they do have the unfettered ability to approve or deny anybody's concealed carry application, even if they meet all of the uh, shall-issue qualifying factors. Washington Post says another man included in the incident had repeated involvement in violent incidents and contacts with law enforcement in 2017. He was a witness to a threatened shooting. Okay. In 2020, he took a shooting victim to a hospital. Okay. In 2021, he was arrested in two separate incidents, charged with assaulting police officer in possession with intent to distribute marijuana while armed. But those charges were all dropped. And again, <laughs> in my opinion, an arrest should not be able to be used as a disqualifying factor if there was no prosecution, if there was no conviction. Uh, that's just step one of the criminal justice system is an arrest, right? And under our criminal justice system, you are considered, you are presumed innocent, right? Until you are proven guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. Well, that didn't happen in that case. So even though the guy had, quote, never been charged with a crime by a prosecutor and already had a concealed carry license, his license was revoked. The lawsuit says the district's policymakers enacted an overly restrictive registration and licensing regime as a matter of policy. So, again, the District of Columbia is definitely going to try to defend their laws. Um, as a matter of fact, I, you know, one of the things I find fascinating, uh, the comment uh, by the uh, professor at uh, Boston University. Uh, who says that, uh, you know, more people carrying weapons, especially in densely populated areas like the district, is only going to increase gun violence, saying that uh, black men are at significant risk. What is the district really trying to do here? Again, we already know that blocking people from obtaining a concealed carry license does not stop individuals from illegally carrying a gun. Whether they're doing so with no actual violent criminal intent, or whether they've got, you know, murder on their mind. The fact that the district is able to subjectively uh, deny these licenses uh, based on arrests, based on contact with law enforcement. In, in the case of Millard, apparently because he was the victim of domestic violence, really shows that D.C.'s shall issue system isn't shall issue at all. And again, as long as the authorities have the arbitrary authority to say, well, yeah, I just don't think you're the right type of person to bear arms. I think the district is going to be in some trouble here. Uh, and again, when we talk about the reason why 25 states have now adopted constitutional carry, it's precisely because of problems like this. You know, we've gone over in great detail 
the issues with May issue concealed carry laws. The Supreme Court has weighed in on them. Besides the constitutional concerns, it also leads to graft and corruption. It uh, uh, you know enables law enforcement officers to say, "Sure, I'll I'll I'll, I'll move the, your application up to the uh, top of the list." Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll make sure it it, uh, it gets approved. But uh, <clears throat> what are you going to do for me? We've seen that in the New York Police Department's licensing division. We're seeing it in Santa Clara County, where the uh, sheriff Lori Smith is facing a civil trial. Her two top deputies are facing criminal charges. Uh, in what prosecutors allege was a pay-to-play scheme to obtain concealed carry licenses. And shall issue laws supposedly get rid of that opportunity for graft and corruption. And as long as they are true shall issue, then maybe that's the case. But uh, it seems like in D.C. it's shall issue in name only. And you have uh, folks who are eligible to exercise their Second Amendment rights who are unable to do so legally anyway because the district refuses to let them. So we'll keep our eyes on this case. I've actually reached out to uh, Mr. Scrifano, the attorney uh, representing Mr. Millard, and I uh, am hopeful that we can get him on the show next week to talk about this in greater detail. Um, This is a fascinating case. Uh, And given the roadblocks and the barriers that the District of Columbia has continued to put in place uh, in front of those trying to exercise their Second Amendment rights ever since the Heller decision was handed down, Uh, I am hopeful that the courts will not look too kindly on D.C.'s continued infringement on a uh, very fundamental right. Now, let's turn our attention to today's Armed Citizen story, our good deed of the day, and our recidivist report. We'll start there with a a case out of Maine where a uh, Paris, Maine man has received five years probation for stealing 20 guns. That's right. Yeah, Joe Biden and the Democrats want to put you in prison for five years if, you know, you so much as possess a large capacity magazine or a modern sporting rifle. But uh, under the existing laws here, and this was a federal case, you can steal guns and uh, walk away with probation. Federal guidelines actually recommended a prison sentence between 37 and 46 months for 43-year-old Scott Irish. Based on the facts of this case and Irish's previous criminal history, But the assistant U.S. attorney, Michael Conley, uh, saying that he agreed with those guidelines. That didn't mean the judge listened. Uh, Judge sentenced instead Irish to five years of probation, calling it a, quote, rare case where the defendant has rehabilitated himself to the point where prison may cause him to relapse back into addiction. David Benjamin, who represented Irish, said that his client has turned his life around having been addicted to drugs most of his life, uh, achieving sobriety for nearly two years. Um, After checking out of a drug rehab center, he went on to live in a uh, so-called sober house, began working again as a uh, a carpenter, uh, uh, first for a contracting company, then for himself. Um, He has gone on to employ fellow sober house residents. His uh, defense attorney says he was able to rebuild his life, outfitting himself with a truck and uh, tools of the trade. Which is great. I I mean, that, that is fantastic. But that doesn't absolve Irish of the crime that he committed. The judge in this case called herself very conflicted, uh, but said that uh, because Irish had agreed to pay $4,000 to the owner of the shop that he burglarized for the cost of the stolen merchandise, uh, he'd be more likely to pay that restitution if he were able to continue working. 
And she said that uh, prison, quote, not always the best place to go to stay clean. Which raises, if that's the case, that sometimes prison is worse than being out in the public for addicts. <laughs> Doesn't that indicate we've got a really serious problem inside our prisons? Uh, maybe a topic for a uh, another day. Um, I just, it, it's amazing to me that uh, this man who, again, admittedly, appears to have uh, done good things with his life over the past couple of years, uh, is still really not going to have to answer for his crimes. Uh, the owner of J&K Sporting Goods says that uh, he struggles with feelings of having been violated. He has trouble trusting people. He says this remains a, uh, an ongoing nightmare. Uh, and not all of the uh, stolen guns, by the way, have been recovered. Um. The uh, prosecutor in this case said that the uh, store owner uh, doesn't feel like $4,000 uh, comes anywhere close to covering his loss, but I guess that's all he's going to get. By the way, when Iris was taken into custody, he was uh, reportedly wearing one of the stolen guns on his hip. Uh, his defense attorney said he didn't have a buyer in mind when he stole the guns, just, uh, just a product of his addiction. So two months behind bars, that's the ultimate sentence, I guess, for uh, Mr. Irish. Five years probation, spent 60 days behind bars waiting trial, but uh, that's it. Hopefully he, and I, I mean this sincerely, he has been given a gift by the criminal justice system. He's been given a gift by a federal judge, and I hope that he takes advantage of that. I hope that he continues on his path to sobriety. I hope that he doesn't fall off the wagon. I hope that he's able to continue to uh, help others uh, live a sober life. Uh, and again, I hope he is cognizant of the incredible bargain that he received here uh, after stealing nearly three dozen firearms, some of which have been recovered in crimes, and walking away with a slap on the wrist. Today's Armed Citizen story. From Las Vegas, Nevada, uh, here's a scary headline for you. I will kill you all. Las Vegas man made paranoid 911 calls before breaking into home, being shot by homeowner. Yeah, as you can imagine, this is being viewed as a uh, clear-cut case of self-defense. This was back on October the 22nd. Police responded to a, a burglary call just after uh, 5.30 a.m. after a man identified as 28-year-old David Valley entered a home through an unlocked back door, grabbed a kitchen knife, and then tried to break into the master bedroom on the second floor. Uh, as officers were responding, I guess the first officer who responded heard a gunshot fired from inside of the house as he was walking up to the front door. When he got into the house, he heard yelling and screaming before he saw Valley lying on the second floor balcony bleeding from his leg. Homeowner told police that he woke up to the sound of somebody breaking in before he and his wife barricaded their door. Uh, they heard a voice outside their bedroom saying, let me in, I will kill you all, which no one's going to let you in if that's how you start. But anyway, the uh, homeowner yelled out, I have a gun, while Valley was trying to force the door open before he fired a warning shot into the ceiling and then fired a shot through the bedroom door. Someone in the house told police that Valley was heard saying, give me the bleeping gun in Spanish. and was banging on the doors yelling, come out, you're running out of time. There are bombs all over the house. Valley was uh, taken out of the house by officers. He was arrested after he was shot. Police later uh, learned that Valley had made multiple 911 calls. Before this incident, may have actually tried to break into other people's homes as well. At 1 o'clock that morning, more than four hours before the uh, burglary call, uh, Valley had reportedly called 911 to report two people were at the front door of his apartment. Uh, before officers got there, he told the dispatcher that one of them had, quote, pushed a sword through the hole in the door 
and disconnected the phone call. He then uh, called about 45 minutes later to report that three men had returned to his apartment, uh, told the dispatcher that he left, but four to five people were now following him and, quote, hiding in bushes and behind bus stops. Then about 10 minutes before the uh, burglary in which Valley was shot, a woman called 911 after a man tried to open the door of her apartment. She said the man kept saying, help me, while trying to open the uh, the sliding glass door there outside of her balcony until he was scared away. Two minutes later, another person called 911 to report that a man was at her front door asking them to help them through the doorbell camera because, quote, somebody was trying to kill him. Yeah. Now Valley is facing charges of burglary with a deadly weapon, assault with a deadly weapon. Uh, he has been released from the hospital, so he is going to survive his injuries. And uh, the homeowner, not facing any charges, obviously, because they were uh, clearly acting in self-defense here. Finally, today's good deed of the day, in the right place at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing, a police officer in South Carolina who saved a woman from drowning earlier this month and uh, has now been honored for her good deed. Kayla Richardson uh, is her name. Uh, she says that uh, every time she goes home, her seven-year-old son, Dawson, asks her how her day was. He wants to be a police officer when uh, when he grows up. She says he wants to hear all my stories, like who was good, who was bad. And uh, just a couple weeks ago, she had a pretty crazy story to tell her son, saving the life of a, a woman who was drowning. Uh, this was back on October the 9th, about 7.15 that evening. Uh, Officer Richardson dispatched uh, to a uh, an intersection there in uh, King Street. A woman was lying face down in knee-deep water. Richardson said she thought that the woman had been there a couple of minutes. She said she wasn't moving. She wasn't breathing. She was a heavier set lady, so I had to move her the best I could. Once I flipped her over, I was able to put pressure on her chest. Some of the water came out of her lungs. Uh, additional officers from the uh, uh, additional resource rather from the uh, King Street Fire Department and EMS then arrived. Richardson says we were able to get a response. If she had glasses on, she's blinking her eyes. And I'm like, I'm not letting you die like this. She was taken to a local hospital. She has recovered. She says when she um, got home that night, she says she told her son what happened. And he said, quote, oh, mommy, I'm so proud of you. Well, the uh, King Street community, proud of her as well. And uh, this week uh, presented with a plaque uh, for her life-saving efforts, a Lifesaver Award uh, presented her by uh, King Street Police Chief Kip Coker and uh, recognition of her, quote, prompt response and her selfless actions. So uh, in the right place. At the right time, willing and able to do the right thing. Officer uh, Kayla Richardson there in uh, King Street, South Carolina. We thank you for your very good deed. Now, that is all the time we've got for you on this edition of Barry and Arms Cam and Company, unfortunately. But I will encourage you to check out BarryandArms.com, the website, throughout the day and uh, over the weekend. Because we are going to be reporting all of the latest Second Amendment news and information that you need to know about. You're closing in on election day. There are uh, all kinds of polls we'll be discussing. It looks like things are going pretty well at the moment, but uh, don't get cocky. Stay involved, stay engaged, and uh, we'll keep you covered again on all of the important news regarding your right to keep and bear arms. If you like what you see, I'd also encourage you to become a VIP member. All you have to do is go to bearingarms.com slash subscribe. Use the promo code GUNRIGHTS. And you can get a significant savings on your VIP membership. As our way of saying thanks for showing your support, we're going to give you exclusive news stories and analysis you won't find anywhere else because your support does matter, and it really does make a difference. So thank you again. We'll talk to you again with another edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company on Monday. Until then, be well, be safe, be free.